there'll be days where you would have been talking to a potential investor for maybe a number of months and they seem super keen and they're going to put in this huge chunk of money and it's all systems go. And then at the 11th, and you're already kind of spending it. And then at the 11th hour, like they will pull out, like that will just happen. That just happens. It's happened to me a number of times. It's just a roller coaster. And so you've got to be prepared when that happens to give yourself a moment, have a bit of a boohoo, and then dust yourself off, get your shit together, and get back out there. This is The Raise, where we take you behind the scenes into the capital raising journeys of startup founders. Some you may have heard of, others you need to hear about and all of whom have been through it to close a raise. On the show, you'll learn how founders make the difficult decisions. Whether you're a founder yourself or you're simply interested in the fast-moving, innovative world of startups, this show is for you. I'm your host, Mylin Dang. I'm Managing Director of capital raising law firm Metis Law. For over a decade, I've worked with founders to raise capital so they can build businesses that make a lasting impact. Hello, founders and friends. Today, I'm chatting with Claudia King, the CEO and founder of Firmsy. Firmsy helps entrepreneurial law firms scale their businesses online. This is done through automation software and strategy coaching and support. Claudia is a former tax lawyer who created New Zealand's first online legal service, Legal Beagle, before selling it for seven figures. Claudia brings colour, personality and tech to a profession that desperately needs to be modernised. In this episode, you'll hear Claudia share how a eulogy that she gave at her dad's funeral led her to her first investors for Firmsy, how she answers sexist questions from prospective investors, and tips on how to deal with prospective investors pulling the rug at the last minute in a raise. Let's dive in. Claudia King, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's fabulous to be here. Claudia, a few years ago, you started writing a book about your family history, and that's something that I really wanted to do myself. How's that going? Uh, it's a <laughs> it's a work in progress. I was lucky in that when my dad passed away, all his notes because he was in in the process of writing it, and I was fortunate when to get all his notes. So I had a really good head start with it. So it's a work in progress. Great. Looking forward to the finished product. Claudia, your company is Firmsy, formerly known as Automio. What's your elevator pitch? So at at Firmsy, we help entrepreneurial small law firm owners scale their law firms online. And so we we do that through a a combination of automation software for law firms um, combined with our law firm strategy, coaching and support. What's your big audacious dream for Firmsy? We've got sort of got a clear mission, vision and values for Firmsy. And so our my my vision is to is to create a world where lawyers love their work, clients love their lawyers, and lawyers love to work and collaborate with each other. Uh, so that's the vision. The mission is to help uh, one million lawyers build their dream law firms so that together we can revolutionise the legal industry. 
prior to founding Firmsy, you were a practicing lawyer yourself. You worked in tax of all places <laughs> with one of the large accounting firms. You're a partner with your dad, Dennis King, in your own law firm. You created and sold New Zealand's first online legal service, Legal Beagle. And Firmsy, I understand, was incubated in your law firm, and it was born out of trying to build something for yourself to allow you to leverage your legal intellectual property to scale your law firm in a way that wouldn't be tied to the scary billable hours. How did you go from building a product to solve a problem that you had in your law firm to turning it into a product that you wanted to sell to the market and the world at large? What was your thought process? So when I started building the product for myself, I didn't really have any ambition or plans around taking the product and selling it to other law firms. So it was really when, because I had a number of prototypes built um, by other software developers. And then I found Matt and Mike who built the product um, initially for me. And they were quite, they were the ones who I suppose challenged my thinking around building a product that could be used by other law firms like mine. And so I think they sort of planted that that kind of entrepreneurial seed for me that I think, you know, if you partner with with software developers who've worked with entrepreneurs before, they'll quite quickly challenge you to think about, you know, is there an opportunity here to build this perhaps in a different way to to make it a product that you can kind of create another business out of. So yes, yeah, so I was probably a bit late to the the thinking around that, but got there eventually. Firmsy seems to me to have gone through a few developments and pivots. I recall first coming across Automio as it was back in 2018 and 2019. It was quite a different product. Can you talk through how Firmsy's product has changed and how the business has pivoted over the last few years? So when we first launched the product in 2017, it was a product for law firms or for lawyers, but we weren't very strict around that. And what I mean by that is that we sold it to lawyers, but we also sold it to other businesses that weren't law firms. For example, we had some insurance companies, we had a bank, quite a wide range of customers from different industries and different sizes. And that was very challenging because, you know, every type of business needs different types of features and has different requirements around uh, security and things like that. And so we became quite scattered around sort of where the product was heading. And so I started working with the business coach uh, who sort of specializes in, in helping SaaS startups grow. And so one of the first things that he helped me do was figure out sort of in the the law firm space, like what type of law firm, you know, should we focus on helping? And so from there, we really niched into helping uh, sole practitioners and small law firms. And so as soon as we started doing that, we were able to streamline our marketing a lot more. We were able to streamline our sales process a lot more in terms of our product roadmap that became so much clearer. We were taking the product on a sort of a journey for small law firms and we weren't trying to make it be all things to all these different people like we had in the past. So I think that was the first big step 
for us. The other challenge that we ran into that we needed to figure out how to overcome was that initially we sold the the software as a pure SaaS product where you would buy the software and it was really up to you as the customer to implement it. And what we found with our law firm customers was that they had a lot of um, challenges around that for a number of reasons, including that um, you know the software was was challenging to use in terms of getting it set up. Also, you know, lawyers are very busy, very time poor, so their ability to put time into doing that just wasn't really there. So, uh, so, so to overcome that challenge, we launched uh, sort of an education or training program that runs alongside the software so that when you buy the software, you also get the training program, which includes, um, you know, coaching around sort of the, the marketing sales and delivery system in a law firm and, and taking that online. So instead of kind of relying on referrals, walking in the door as law firms traditionally have, like how can you sort of take that old school business model and take it online? Yeah, so it was really the combination of those two things that helped us really start to get some good growth. As you say, Firmsy provides mentoring and coaching to your clients and people who are successful in business always say to find a mentor who has done what you want to do. And I know when I started looking around law and tech, the only person I could find who was doing something that I wanted to do was you, Claudia. And that's why we've actually become a client of yours as well. <laughs> You've created this business that's disrupting the legal industry and you're doing it in a sassy and smart way. Claudia, who are your mentors and coaches these days? I still work with uh, Dan Martell, who was the coach that I sort of started working with a number of years ago, who really helped. And so he's a, a Canadian guy. He runs a coaching program for uh, SAS companies called SAS Academy. So he sort of runs two programs. He's got SAS Academy. And then once you get your company to $3 million in annual recurring revenue, then you go up to the next program, which is called SAS Boardroom. So I'm part of that now, which was actually really exciting because it's quite a small group. It's probably compared to SAS Academy, which is hundreds of founders now. But the, the SAS Boardroom group is probably maybe 30, 35 founders in there. And I'm the first female. So I was, I was, I was proud of that to add a bit of diversity into the group there. Mm, congratulations. So that's definitely where I get a lot of my, I guess, tech industry SAS related strategies from. So, so something that is really important to me at the moment in terms of my learning and my development is around my leadership and becoming a better leader. And I get some of that sort of coaching in Dan Martell's program, but I also work with different different coaches. I've worked locally here in Taranaki with a woman called Chantelle Hoste. Also worked with an American woman called Susan Hyatt, who is sort of a, a like an executive coach for female entrepreneurs. Doing some work with Susan at the moment, which I find really really challenging, but really good. And somebody else who I've worked, who I've done some business coaching with in the past a number of times that's really challenged me and, you know, so really sticks out is a woman called Rachel Rogers, who she's got a business over in the States called Hello 7. And Rachel's actually, she was in a, like me in a previous life, she was a lawyer as well. And she had one of the first sort of virtual firms or online legal services over in the States. So we sort of connected because we were both doing something similar. And one of the biggest things that she helped me with 
was when I had my law firm and I wanted to launch my SaaS company because I couldn't, I just had my second child. I had my law firm. I had this online legal service and I had this sort of fledgling SaaS company. So I had these three companies plus a three month old and a two year old. And I was just like, there's just too much going on here. And she challenged me to figure out which one of those businesses I was most passionate about and most, you know, driven by. And so even though the SaaS company, like at that stage, we hadn't launched the product, it had never earned a dollar. I decided that I would go all in with that and sell the other two. And so she challenged me to do that, which was a pretty big, like, it's funny how you talk about things afterwards. Like it was just a decision that you made and it was, but at the time, you know, it's like six months of turmoil trying to make this decision. So she was definitely been a significant mentor for me as well. I'll come back to that because I'd like to dive deeper into that decision-making process. And I want to give it a little bit of context because you started building Firmsy in the law firm that you ran with your dad and he passed away while you were still incubating the law firm. And you've been very open about how extremely difficult that period in particular has been for you because he was the main fee owner. I went through a very similar experience in 2009 when I lost my mum and it was extremely traumatic and it led me, I was working a big law firm in London at the time, you know, what you would typically consider to be a great career, but it led to me leaving law for a little while and starting a fashion tech company. How did your dad's death affect your decision to continue with Firmsy? So it was really interesting because even though my dad, like he was older, he was an older lawyer, he was very innovative and he really wanted to see law change. Like he inspired me to want to do that. So when he passed away, it was really interesting because at his funeral, when I was doing uh, the, the eulogy and I talked a bit about Firmsy and, and what we were doing and it was from giving that speech that I got an email a few days later from some friends of my parents who said to me, we don't really know what you were talking about, but it sounds really interesting and we would like to invest. It was interesting because as a lawyer, when I was doing commercial law and I helped a lot of my clients, you know, raise capital, I'd never really thought, like I, I was always really inspired by them and, and, and the courage it took to kind of go out and, and do that and raise money. But I'd never really thought that that was something that I would do for myself. And as soon as they sent me that email, I was just like, like it just changed the way that I thought. And I was suddenly like, why am I not doing this? You know, I've helped so many other people do it. Why am I not doing this for myself? So they came in and I, we, we pres- uh, created a pitch and presented to them. And I think they ended up investing maybe 75 or 80,000. They like wrote a check there on the spot. And I thought to myself, gosh, capital raising so easy. <laughs> just needed 10 more of these. And- <laughs> oh, yeah. How, I mean, it must be so easy, right? I just write the check there and then like simple, gosh. So yeah, that was my first experience with capital raising and it's never been that easy since. <laughs> Got off to a bit of a, uh, started on a high. So yeah, so so it was interesting how, you know, dad's death kind of led to my first investor very quickly, like within days of his funeral. But I think as well, like, even though like dad, he was a very good lawyer, like he didn't enjoy it, but he did it because um, he got to help the people that he wanted to help. And he also 
it provided a, a really good living for him, but he didn't enjoy it. And he was always very stressed and had to work long hours. And I was what, probably early thirties at the time. And, you know, when you've got another 30 years ahead of you, of your working life, thinking about being like that is just, it's just not really acceptable. And so I think I was just like, I want to, I want to try something else. And also one thing that, that dad, he gave me a lot of sort of free reign in the business around, you know, spending and spending on innovative things and trying things out and letting me fail. And through that, like I really liked the business of running the law firm. I didn't like doing the legal work. And so I think when he passed away, it kind of just gave me that push to be like, you need to, you know, follow the opportunities in life. And the biggest opportunity right now is, is Firmsy. So even though it had never earned a dollar in revenue, that's the one that I chose to, uh, chose to pursue. And you said Rachel Rogers challenged you to make that decision. What are the tools and who, who else did you speak to, to reach that and make that decision? One of the tools that she used with me is an, like a, a body compass exercise, which sounds a bit woo woo. It was, it's basically about kind of, I think it's a, I'm just trying to think there's a coach, like a life coach who invented it. I think her name's Brooke Castillo. And, and a lot of people use this exercise to make decisions. And it's about sort of asking yourself questions and kind of recalibrating your body to see how you react to different opportunities um, and really kind of listening to yourself to figure out what really, you know, inspires you and excites you. And I remember her taking me through that exercise and it was very clear that my passions lay with you know, pursuing the technology company as as the office as the opportunity to pursue. But also I could just tell like as she and I like put together strategies and executed business plans for the various companies that I was running, like I was just so flat when it came to the the law stuff, but I was just so excited when it came to the firmsy side. Uh, just my voice even, you know, would light up when I spoke about that one compared to how I spoke to the other one. The other, like talking about the law firm and the, the online legal service, it just, it felt like kind of drudgery to me. And I even used to have like my to-do list for the law firm was called like the spreadsheet of doom. And like the to-do <laughs> list that I had for Firmsy was, would just make me light up. It was just, it was very clear from the way that I spoke and reacted to, you know, the, the plans that we were making for these different companies, like where my heart was. It was obvious. I just didn't want to admit it to myself because, you know, through my law firm, we made great money. And to go from, you know, having this very comfortable, cushy lifestyle and paying myself very well to going to a company that had never earned a dollar, that relied on external investors putting money in, was quite a scary sort of proposition. And I think that at the time, other than Rachel, the other person that I spoke to about it quite a bit was Ian Frame. And Ian, I was introduced to Ian by Andrew Simmons from Ben Simmons Stewart. Ian is quite a well-known guy in the startup space. He used to be the CEO of Rangatera. And he um, was moving to New Plymouth 
And so Andrew introduced him to me as possibly somebody to mentor me or to come onto the board or possibly invest. And so, yeah, so I got to know Ian. He did, he, he invested and came on as a director for Firmsy. As I was trying to juggle all these things, I talked to him a lot about it. And yeah, he's sort of the one that taught me that saying, you know, you need to follow the opportunities in life. And so, yeah, so I did. So going back to your the, the first investors in your business, they came to you and said they don't know anything about the product, but they believe in you. So what was your relationship with them at the time that gave them this trust in you? They were friends of my parents and had been friends for a long time. I can remember hanging out with their family when I was a very small child. I think that over the years, possibly my dad had done some legal work for them. I think that they'd done some work for my dad in in another professional capacity. So, you know, there'd been um, a professional relationship there as well. Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know whether they just felt sorry for me uh, because my business partner had passed away or perhaps because I'd spoken quite passionately about what dad and I had been working on together. So that's that's sort of how, how it came to be. I don't think it was that they felt sorry for you, Claudia. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big condolence gift to give someone. <laughs> Claudia, are you able to share how much you've raised for Firmsy to date? Yeah, sure. So I'm doing a cap raise uh, at the moment. I won't count this one, but up until this point, I've raised uh, just over $3 million. Um, and I've done it over a number of different rounds that first round where those friends of my parents sent me the email and invested once they had kind of sparked my realization that I should be raising capital to get this off the ground um, I did that seed round at 600,000 and they were the first investors that put money into that seed round and how have you gone about building your network of prospective investors over the years so a lot of my investors are high net worth and they are people from Taranaki. So I was a lawyer here. So I have a reasonably big network locally. I know a lot of the the business people and I've met them through various committees and boards and clubs and things over the time that, because I'm from here as well. So yeah. and, And if I don't know somebody, then they probably knew Dennis. So that was that's always been kind of an in with people as well. And in addition to that, Ian Frame, who I mentioned just before, who was the, the first director that I took on, he was chair of the local angel group. So, you know, he knows a lot of the, the local investors as well. So I think sort of between him and I, uh, you know, we had a fairly good we were quite well connected sort of local at a local level um and in is quite quite well connected at at a national level as well yeah and I've also just found New Zealand's so small that you know it's not too I haven't found it too difficult to get an introduction to the person that I need Claudia have you had any pressure from investors or prospective investors to bring on a co-founder I sort of have had co-founders. So Matt and Mike, who sort of started with me, like when I when I would go out and pitch to potential investors in the earlier days, like Matt was always there. He was the head of product. Um, and even though he didn't start the company sort of at the start, 
you know, he was there from from early days. And so I guess that because there were two of us there, they kind of always felt that, you know, there was a bit of a bit of a team. Plus Ian in the early days would also come pitching with us quite a bit. So I guess that there was a bit of a feeling that there was a founding team there. Yeah. Um, so no, I've I've right. never had any pressure, but since then because Zach Bingham, who's the COO here at Firmsy, so he he pretty much started with Firmsy like the day we launched the product. He is now called a co-investor of Firmsy, sorry, a co-founder of, of Firmsy. Claudia, what was the most difficult question that an investor has asked you? I, I have had questions around my commitment given that I have, um, that I'm a woman and that I have small children. Really? They still ask those sorts of questions these days. Yeah, I think often when you're out looking for investment and you are pitching to more sort of high net worth, often they are of a, an older generation. And so because of that, the, they're more used to kind of asking those sorts of questions. So that's always really challenging for me because I know that, well, I mean, you can never be sure, but I, I feel quite strongly that had it had I been a man in that situation, I wouldn't have been asked those same questions. How do you respond to that? I would just answer the, the question. I have good support systems in place and I'm very committed to the to the company. I suppose there's there's still quite a lot of that thinking, but they don't say it out loud. The fact that um, female founders do get less investment is probably a testament that actually that that thinking does does still exist and is quite still prominent. Claudia, what surprised you about the capital raising process? Uh, so what surprised me about it? I think that when you're capital raising, it's quite an emotional experience. It can be quite difficult, particularly in the earlier days. I'm better now, but in the early days, you know, getting a no, kind of like a knife to the heart, because it's quite an emotional experience as well as there's a lot there's a lot to do there's a lot to organize there's a lot of meetings there's a lot of travel there's a lot of emails back and forth there's a lot of creating different kind of data sets that are requested because you know some people require different things that you just don't have lying around so there's a lot to do plus it's a very it's an emotional journey so it's all consuming. And so it's very difficult when you're capital raising to run the business. And, you know, you've still, the business still needs to run. Like it still needs to hit the targets that the investors are expecting to see, plus the potential investors that you're pitching to. They want to see that you're hitting your targets. To get the company to do that when you're out doing this all consuming capital raising process is, it's a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a surprise to me how distracted. I became um, when I was capital raising from actually just getting on and running the business and growing the business in, in the way that I wanted to. And what have you done since in order to manage that, manage the fact that it is all-consuming and takes you away from the day-to-day business? First is that I have my COO, Zach, now. We run the business together. He's more sort of he, – he more runs the business. I more lead the business. So there's kind of that distinction between what we do, but there's the two of us now that does make it easier. I also have uh, an executive team now uh, who are a lot more, I guess, autonomous and don't 
need us every moment of every day, they can, you know, really get on and run their teams themselves with less input than we've had to have in the past. So this capital raise that we're doing right now has been, again, it's been all consuming, but the business has been able to continue on a lot better than it has in the past because we've got that executive team in place. Is this a Series A, Claudia? Uh, Not at the moment. We're uh, doing a $2 million convertible note with the view to getting ready to do uh, a Series A at the end of this year or start of next year. Great. And what's been different about this raise compared to your earlier rounds? I think that now compared to a few years ago, there seems to be a lot more openness around legal tech companies. A few years ago, legal tech was just not sexy at all. But now there's been, you know, some great success stories around legal tech. And so it's all of a sudden much hotter than it was. And so instead of, you know, just being told a no, we don't even want to hear your pitch because you're legal tech, you know, people are a lot more open to um, to having a conversation now, which has been really, really encouraging. Yeah. Wow. Law, law is becoming sexy. Mm, yeah apparently so (laughs) Claudia what's one thing you can share with other founders who are thinking about raising capital or are embarking on the capital raising journey you need a good a good team so having a good lawyer who can talk you through the process particularly around early on when you're doing seed rounds and you're talking to friends and family there's obviously a lot of rules around you know, who can be an investor and and who can't. So, you know, making sure that you don't, I don't know, do something illegal accidentally is really, is really important. So making sure yeah, you've got a good lawyer who who will get back to you quickly, because obviously the capital raising process moves pretty fast. And so you don't want to be waiting for a number of days to hear back whether this investor is, is somebody who could come on board or not, or, you know, or what document to use with that particular investor. So I think that's really important. Having somebody who either as a board member or an advisory board member who has done it before that can be there for you to bounce questions off and could maybe even be a little bit of a therapist is important. You know, just, just somebody who can share some share some wisdom around it and some positivity as well. It is a bit of a roller coaster. And I think more than anything, trying to stay positive and just keep going. Cause there'll be days where you would have been talking to a potential investor for maybe a number of months and they seem super keen and they're gonna put in this huge chunk of money. And it's all systems go. And then at the 11th, and you're already kind of spending it. And then at the 11th hour, like they will pull out, like that will just happen. That just happens. It's happened to me a number of times. It's just a roller coaster. And so you've got to be prepared when that happens to give yourself a moment, have a bit of a boohoo, and then dust yourself off, get your shit together and get back out there because there's plenty of money out there. You just got to go find it. Uh, And the moment you give up, or you let you let yourself get emotional for a long period of time about about a no or a setback like that, then the more likely it is that you're not going to make it and that you're going to run out of money and you're not going to be able to get to the next step. So, and the other thing I'll say is that start early. So, you know, when you're looking at your runway and you're looking at your financial model and your projections and you can see, you know, when your runway is going to end, 
I think as founders, we tend to, we start too late and it causes unnecessary stress. So I think start early, even though it's a lot of work, just start getting out there and talking to people. Oh, and another thing I'll say is in the early days when we're out pitching, we would like design our pitch deck ourselves. And like looking back on them now, I'm just that awful. I'm so embarrassed. We're like, this time it's all been done, all beautiful, it's all professional. And it's just, I don't know, like, it's just so much better. Have, and it, it, it doesn't even cost, like it might have cost us, I don't know, $2,000 to get the whole thing designed. And it looks amazing. And I just wish we'd kind of spent that money earlier on. I just think it gives that, that level of professionalism that I think is important when you're out, uh, when you're out pitching. Some great tips there, Claudia. I'd like to finish off with what I call the quick six, which is six rapid fire questions. What's your favorite work from home, lunch or snack? So it is, my favorite snack is Rocky Road Protein Slice. It's uh, um, made from a recipe that I got off my personal trainer and uh, it's sugar free and got protein powder in it. And even though it's sugar free, it kind of just, you know, when you're, when you're craving something sweet, it's perfect. So what makes it sweet? It's got, is it Healthery's? It's got the Healthery's um, cooking chocolate in it. Yeah. Yum, that sounds beautiful. What's a great yeah. book that you've read recently? At the moment, I'm reading Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I'm really enjoying and it's really reminding me of the need to set aside time to do deep work and I think you know as founders our our attention is dragged all over the place and it's really reminding me of the need to do that um I also just read a book called uh renew your mind by Chantal Hofstede she talks about red brain and green brain and you know red brain is obviously when you start um, acting a way that's in, inconsistent with your values and how you know how you can quickly kick yourself back into green brain and i found that really really useful in my job as founder of a software company and working with with so many people a documentary or podcast that you've watched or listened to recently that you would recommend so a podcast well actually can i do a youtube a youtube show yeah yeah um, there's a woman called uh, Layla Hormozzi who does short videos all about growing businesses. She has built a big health industry business um, and has recently sold that and she has tech companies and, and she creates a lot of videos all about how to grow your business from sort of about a million to 10 million in revenue which I find really useful because there's not a lot of people who talk about that. Like a lot of people talk about getting to a million dollars, but then kind of beyond that, there's not as much. So she, she gives a lot of good tips around how to build a team and how to lead a company. What's the most useful good or service that you've purchased in the last 12 months that costs a hundred dollars or less? Probably my shark demat. Do you know what that is? Oh, yes. I've got one of those too. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think they probably cost about $60 or $70. Yeah. If you go to their website, you'll be stalked by their ads for about three months. So you'll like end up buying one anyway. Yes. Um, Yes. But (laughs) in terms of, 
I'm not using it so much now, but when I first got it for the first six months, it really helped me to relax in the evenings. Yeah, and to the point where I don't really need it as much now because I can more easily relax because of this mat. I got one for Christmas. I love it. <laughs> mm. And you're right, they do stalk yeah. you with um, with advertising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's on heavy rotation on your music playlist right now? So just the last few months, I have got back into Salmonella dub, like early 2000s. Like 2001, um, inside the dub plate, <laughs> Salmonella dub. Yeah, and I've been playing that a lot. Nice. If money and time were no object, Claudia, what would you be doing tomorrow and why? I would really love, and I'm already actually starting to do this, but I would really love to create a, a business or a not-for-profit around helping to educate uh, young women about their finance, their, their their finances, and 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 what to do with their money. And am I allowed to swear on here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And how to get them to create a fuck off fund, which is basically money just for them that as they go through life, if they need to, like they've got a shitty boss who's you know, I don't know, sexually harassing them or, or being very difficult. So they just have the money. They can just leave. They don't have to stay in that job because they need the money. Or if they need to leave a partner, they they can because they're not sort of financially tied to being with that partner. And so I would really love to create some sort of a program or series of seminars, education around how women can build up this fuck off fund and how to keep that money separate from their partner so it doesn't become relationship property. It's always just there for them if they ever need it. Mm. Oh, God, I love that. Love that, Claudia. Mm. This has been lots of fun and super informative. Claudia, how do people find you? Probably the best place is on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Legal Entrepreneur or through my website, which is uh, com. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me today, Claudia. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you so much. It's been great. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you behind the scenes into founder stories about capital raising. We'll have all the contact details for Claudia and Firmsy in our show notes. If you'd like to learn how to raise capital like a guru, like Firmsy, join our free capital raising webinars. To register, head to termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. This podcast is brought to you by Termsheet Guru. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mylin Dang, and we'll be back next episode with another deep dive into a founder's capital raising story.